Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Wireside Chat. Uh, we're thrilled tonight to have um, Gabino Iglesias with us. And uh, as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Melissa Hart. Um, hey. We've got, got uh, two of the best instructors in the online MFA program here tonight. Um, and as for me, I'm the dean. <laughs> I teach sometimes, too. But I don't know if I'm as, as in the lofty company of, of these two wonderful instructors. Um, all right, let's uh, get to, I'm going to ask a few questions of, uh, of Gabino and maybe even of Melissa, and then we'll take your questions. Um, at the top of your screen, you should see a Q&A button. If you type that or click on that, you will come to the Q&A window and you can just uh, ask your questions there and we'll do our best to service them. Uh, you can also, if uh, you can't get in there, leave them in the chat. We'll be trying to monitor the chat as well, but it's difficult when there's so many people. But the chat is open, so feel free to make use of it. So, Gabino. Um, Gabino has been a, an instructor here for quite a while. Um, he's been uh, a novelist and writer who's received a lot of acclaim, a lot of attention. Uh, from his first book, which was what? Co Coyote Songs, I believe was the name of the first book. Oh, the first one? Uh, let's see. Oh, you're making me feel very old right now, Paul. Uh, <laughs> first book was Gutmouth, which no one read. Uh, and m most people don't even know it exists, which is the thing that tends to happen to, to some books. Um, Zero Saints came after that, and then Coyote Songs came out, and that's okay. the one that started. Um, I don't know, making noise. Um, yes, getting well, that's a bit of attention. That was when I first heard of you. That's when you first came to my attention as like somebody to watch. You were, you, you got on the radar with that book, and then your so subsequent you job. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the subsequent your subsequent book, um, which just recently came out, uh, The Devil Takes You Home. That seems to be the book that really was your breakthrough so far. I mean, you really hit a wider audience. Um, you, you were, um, you know, reviewed more widely than with Coyote Songs. And your work received um, a lot of acclaim and in some areas a little controversy. Um, and we'll talk about all that. Uh, you were nominated for, for um, at least two prestigious awards, the Stoker and the Edgar. Um, and the Stoker is coming up uh, in about a month, isn't it? Or later this month? Uh, yeah, in June. June yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, pretty soon. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you didn't uh, you didn't win the the Edgar, but it's still quite a you know the cliche goes quite an honor to be nominated. But in this case, I think it really was an honor to be nominated for that award. It was. So, I'm, I'm stoked. Yeah. You're stokered. I'm stokered too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, the kind of kind of the ostensible topic of our of our discussion tonight is like what ha oh and, and let me just mention too that Melissa also had a book that came out recently Daisy Woodworm Saves the World and that book also did quite well and received a number of at least one award nomination that I'm aware of and also received its share of controversy um, <laughs> so so we're, we're going to get into all that but but first i want to just ask gabino because like i said uh, the topic of our conversation tonight is how does a writer 
navigate success? How, how do you, I mean, we all want success. We all wish for it. Then it comes. And then what do you do? How do you keep your balance, maintain your equilibrium and, and stay true to what got you to this point in the first place? So I guess what I'd like to ask you is like over the course of your career, what have been some of those moments where you felt like, um, uh oh, there's a this success is good, but there's also a little bit of a threat to uh, to, to who I am. I'm a little off my my normal balance. And how did you re- how did you retain that balance? And is that something that you felt with this most recent book? I think I felt a little bit of that with every single book like I. uh we're all obsessed with with getting published and then that happens the first time and then suddenly you go my, my book is out i'm a published author and then someone goes congrats no one cares now you have to sell it uh so you get <laughs> you get a new job as a, as a as a pr person and you have to be your own marketing team and welcome to the wonderful hell of social media and uh, uh, no one's going to call you, so you have to go out and, and, and try to do events with libraries, and you have to set up your own readings. And uh, um, every book except The Devil Takes You Home was with an indie press, so wherever I went, I had to carry my own books, uh, especially indie bookstores are not going to buy uh, your book outright if they can't return it. So uh, I would travel very light on, on the clothing and my bags would be packed with my own books because you you, yeah. you want to sell as many of them as possible. Um, and then with each each new book brings some kind of new challenge. Uh, my first book was entirely in English and that was fantastic. But then when Zero Saints came out, um, I used a lot of Spanglish in that book for the first time. And uh, uh, people were angry. It's like, how dare you write, you know, in Spanglish for for an, uh, an American audience? Uh, uh, write American, and and you start getting angry emails, and, and um, you learn how to navigate that part. Uh, and then with this last one, he was like, all right, so I'm moving up a little bit. This is a different type of thing. Uh, I have more time as a writer. I have a marketing team for the first time in my life. I have galleys for the first time in my life. I'm doing an official book tour that I don't have to pay for for the first time in my life. <laughs> you, you don't have um, to pack all your books into your suitcase. I don't have to, no, no. It's like magic. I show up and the <laughs> books are already there. Um, wow. and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. And then you get, you get different challenges. I, uh, um, this time around it was, it was a selection, uh, for the book of the month club, which is an amazing opportunity. And it got me a lot of, uh, new readers, but here's the thing. Let's say that you tend to keep your family gatherings to maybe say 10 people and there's a plate, you know, that you like to to prepare for your family. And out of those 10 people, chances are there might be one or two who don't like this particular recipe of yours. So uh, if you do a big event in your neighborhood and instead of 10 people, you bring in a thousand people to eat uh, uh, your food, then the number of people who don't enjoy that plate is going to increase as well. So uh, Book of the Month Club got me some of my favorite hate mail um, <laughs> questioning if I had a mother or if I'd been raised by wolves, uh, <laughs> offering me counseling. If like, I'll help you pay for counseling. Um, obviously, I need Jesus in my life. So a lot of people wrote to me saying that I needed Jesus. Um, and so you move away from the marketing team, PR person. I have to carry my own books. And then you tackle the new thing, which is, uh, you know, an unheard of amount of of, uh, of hate mail. 
But uh, um, I think with each new book, the good usually outweighs the bad. So you learn to pr navigate that particular new slice of hell, and then you move forward and you you focus on uh, on writing the next one and you yeah. know discovering what comes next. Well, I mean, uh, surely you must have received a lot of fan mail as well, not just hate mail. Oh no, there's there's fan mail uh, in there, but I think. Um, I don't know. There's uh there's there's this idea that um maybe authors don't want to hear about your re review if it's very positive. So there's always people who tag you, uh who reach out and say um uh you know, I'm a Latinx writer and and I'm I'm glad that there's representation and 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 thank you for doing the stuff that you do with the Spanish. Uh, but when people hate something, uh, then they feel like they have to communicate and they have to <laughs> let you know, right. uh, which is especially well, if they're yeah. doing it for your own good. Right. Like you need to find Jesus. Right. So then <laughs> exactly. It's free. I'm helping you, uh, which is why I always encourage writers who get a little depressed when that happens. Take your favorite five or ten novels and go on Goodreads and read the one star reviews for your favorite books. And you will realize that the people are very vocal about uh stuff that they hate and in some instances yeah. you'll, you will get a one-star review uh and then uh, for your favorite novel and then you'll go in very curious about what happened uh and then you will find something like one star because uh amazon said it would be here on thursday and it got here on a monday yeah uh, and you're like, what does that have to do with the right. writing itself take, take that uh, fyodor dostoevsky right. exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, one day at a time <laughs> so so what i'm gathering from what you just said is is that you are you are on an even keel that that regardless of everything that's the slings and arrows that are coming at you um you're maintaining your focus as you've always done and working on the next book um but what i guess what i'm wondering is is there any moment where you feel where you have felt a little bit shaken in your confidence let's put it that way and not in your confidence in your ability to be a good writer but rather in your confidence of knowing what kind of writer you are or what it is that you want to engage with uh, maybe because of the, some of the criticism you've uh, received like for example you know um having spanglish in your books but maybe also just because with the wider audience you might feel pressure to like you know uh broaden your own um uh you know thematic i don't know canvas right like i need to be writing a bigger book now because i have a bigger audience has anything <laughs> like that happened yeah uh what's it the, the great american novel i need to write the great american novel mm -hmm. uh no but i i think that's just pure luck uh i've, I've been um and I, I don't want to bring the conversation now, but I've I've been, for example, on Suicide Watch with, with friends of mine where it's like you don't let go of your phone because someone's struggling and, you know, you have to be there for them. Um, but no one has been on Suicide Watch for me because I'm just wired differently. Um, and and uh, I have a lot of friends who suffer from from mental illness. Uh, it's something that they're born with. It, it's something they can't they can't just get up in the morning and, and say, I'm going to be positive today. I'm going to have a positive outlook. Um, it's it's they're hunted by those demons and it's just something that they have to deal with. Um, so I'm lucky that I don't suffer from that. And I'm also lucky that at some point uh, right around, I don't know, my junior year, maybe in high school, um, probably the beginning of my senior year. Um, 
Someone told me I was never going to go to college. Uh, this is a person who worked at the school and uh, uh, she had to help us, you know, navigate what was going to happen after after high school. Um, she said I had no English skills. So if I was going to try to go to college, I should aim uh, low and local. Um, and uh, at, at that point, I went, well, there's two things that I can do now. I can become depressed and and not go to college my mom didn't go to college my dad didn't go to college or i can prove this person wrong and <laughs> i always opt for that yeah. um and then in, in 2008 when i moved to the states and i started writing in english it was um you know you you have to change your name because you have too many vowels in your name you're never going to make it as a writer uh when i started writing in spanish you have to cut that out uh don't talk about politics don't do excessive violence uh stop making everybody brown and black and queer because that that doesn't sell um stop stop doing those things and uh it was never about like, oh, my God, what kind of writer am I? What am I going to do now? It was like, all right. So if I put um, like in The Devil Takes You Home, there, there's a um, trans character. If my trans character makes you angry, I'm not going to change that because it makes you angry. That's on you. Uh, so yeah. what I am going to do is maybe if I go to your city, I'm going to read the scene with the trans character. Uh, if the <laughs> If the Spanish makes you angry. I'm going to put a little bit more of that Spanish in the next book. Uh, so I'm just going to do things to spite people. And that keeps yeah. me happy. I feel well, like if I'm, if I'm pissing off the right people, I'm doing my job correctly. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I mean, I feel as though spite is underrated as a motivator for writers and, and not just like, I mean, for like an ent entire careers, right? Like I'm going to show that person. Or I'm gonna, you know, you, you, in a way, it's kind of like remember that episode of Seinfeld where where George just just decides like his own judgment is so flawed that he's just gonna do the opposite of everything he would normally do, and it, it turns out to lead to great success for him. You are what you are doing is like charting your course by by doing the opposite of what everybody else is telling you to do. Exactly. And like you know, <laughs> it's just great. Well, it's worked so far. But it's but I mean. So far. I, and I don't mean to be flippant about it because it's not as though you're you're you know testing the waters and and then choosing which way to go on the basis of that you're 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 uh, consulting an internal compass that that is that that nonetheless is being opposed by by a lot of people for stupid reasons. <laughs> so let me let me just shift over to Melissa really quick because I know you have you have had also controversy with your book. And and your book is is a wonderful YA, um, or it might even be a middle grade book. And um, yeah, it's like a middle grade. Yeah, and it and it's tell us a little bit about about your travails and triumphs with with that book, if you don't mind. I just it's interesting. <laughs> Everything Gabino just said, I I'm laughing at with so much empathy because what what is going on in publishing right now? I, I just don't understand it. So yeah, this this charming little upper upper middle grade novel that I just had published, Daisy Woodworm Changes the World, mm. was banned because a minor character has two mothers, as I grew up with two mothers. And people are just losing losing their marbles about this. And I've been accused of grooming young people. Um, 
And I too have been called to Jesus on numerous <laughs> occasions. <laughs> I have been told I'm going to hell for corrupting young minds. And so I like what you had to say about spite. And um, yeah, success is is uh, is not all it's cracked up to be, is it? <laughs> I, I agree that you just have to keep focused and write the next book, but also have a good time with your uh, critics as you're talking about. Yeah. 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 No, I, I hope, uh, you know, they, they hate you for, um, yeah. what's the term they're using? You're pushing the LGBTQ agenda. Oh, I'm uh, grooming. I'm grooming so them. Grooming. So yeah. what they should do is like everybody who's angry should buy 10 copies and burn them. And then that way you can sell like 2 million copies and laugh all the way to the bank. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> How do we Let make them that happen? their hatred. Just, just <laughs> buy ten copies and burn them all. Well, what was it that that uh, Franklin Roosevelt said about his critics? I, I, I relish their hate. Something like that. And yeah. I feel like that's a, that's really the only healthy uh, attitude for a writer, or else you're gonna, you're gonna, I don't know, sink into depression, or you'll just be too paralyzed to continue writing. But where does that faith in your in your vision, in your in the rightness of what you're doing, where does that come from, do you think, in for each of you? Oh, go ahead, Gabino. Oh, uh, awesome. Uh, that's a great question. I think uh, at some point we all sit there and we we write uh, our first novel or we start tackling short stories. And um, we talk about a lot of, 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 you know, talk about this a lot in, in some of our classes, uh, which is finding your voice. Um, and I think a lot of times we might get distracted by, you know, what sells? What do I enjoy? And And early on, I think we all have those stories where we're either trying out this is what I think might be successful for me, or you reread an old story and you're like, wow, I was I was reading a lot of, uh, uh, which I see in my students from time to time, I was reading a lot of Hemingway back then. And this is like really, it's like dollar store Hemingway, what I produced. Um, and then, but then you keep going and then you realize that those stories aren't yours, that you were just like sort of mimicking uh, uh, your, your early writing heroes. And at some point you find that first story that really sinks to your heart and and you find a way to tell it uh, in a way that you love it and you, you forget about everybody else you forget about everything that you've ever read uh and and you read that story out loud and, and you think about these characters that you created in your head and you spent so much time with them um and then suddenly you know you put all that effort at the beginning and it led to nothing and suddenly you found your voice um when you find that, it doesn't have to appeal to anybody else. It doesn't have to fall. Uh, I was criticized early on because I was in love with horror, but I was also in love with crime and thrillers and noir. And I wasn't supposed to mix them because those are separate genres. Uh, I'm still mixing them to this day. You know, I created my own genre so I could I could tell people I'm not doing any of that. I'm doing my own thing. Uh, and when you find that, you found your voice. And then the, the more you work on your voice, making it better pulling those stories from your soul, uh, you learn to just ignore everything else and everyone else because it's sort of, you know, this is exactly what I want to do and I'm starting to sound the way that I want it to sound uh, and these are the stories that I want to tell. And as long as you focus on that 
and uh, accept that writing is just a war of attrition and you just have to keep going and, and getting better. No one starts out being good. Like you're not going to be great during, you know, your first couple of stories because um, it's not about being great from the start. It's about getting better with each consecutive story. Uh, so you take those two things and you just push forward and uh, – ignore everything else there's too much going on and, and we only have one brain so i can't do laundry get groceries read reviews pay attention to email grade read hate mail and then also <laughs> also write <laughs> so you have to separate your time it's like i'm gonna grade and then i'm gonna get groceries and i'm gonna write and i'm gonna ignore the rest of the world um and if you can do that you're set for life you're gonna be happy and uh the stories are gonna be your stories yeah, a lot of what you're talking about is that ability to compartmentalize, to start the new novel, even as you are aware of the hate mail piling up in the inbox. I think that's a really valuable skill. For myself, I'm stubborn. And my mom was a journalist and really encouraged me to put my voice out there in a big way from a very young age. And I have written nonfiction and fiction my whole life in the service of marginalized demographics. So it's been pretty easy for me to separ separate my ego from the demographics I hope my writing is serving. And, and I think you have to do that, especially when you're just starting out and you're being asked to promote your stories and your novels and build a website and jacket copy and all of that. You've got to get your ego out of the way and realize that your job is to educate, inspire, and entertain readers. And, and keeping that in mind makes all of this much easier, makes it much easier to compartmentalize and don't even read the hate mail if you, <laughs> if you don't want to. You know, just see the subject line, hit delete, and empty your inbox trash, and you'll never even have to see it. That's, that's there's, there's no shame in that. Yeah, I mean, what, what you say about ego is interesting, because I feel as though writers are a curious combination of, uh, of ego and fragility. Um, Oftentimes, you know, writers are crushed by a by say a bad review, and yet they're they're driven to 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 put them put themselves in a position where they're going to receive a bad review potentially. Um, they have have to have the confidence in in believing that I've got something to say, I've got something worth saying. Whereas a lot of people are telling them, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, so so and yet too much ego or ego wrongly applied is going to mess with your writing. It's going to screw you up. It's going to mess up your career and and you will not you will stop writing in an honest way. I mean, that's one of those terms that's hard to define. What does that mean, right, honestly? But I think kind of to say what to follow along what Gabino was saying earlier. I mean, it I think it kind of means if you're writing honestly, you're writing in service to your voice. And it's it's difficult to uh Students often ask, like, well, what is that? What is, what is voice? How do I find my voice? And it's very difficult to explain to them what what voice is exactly because it's different for everybody. But you know it when you hear it. Right. Like, I think I'll, I, I would bet that the three of us have an experience and maybe even remember precisely, like, where were you when you first felt 
this is my voice. I know it. I hear it. That's me. That's and not, it's not just me. It's it's the writer I want to mm-hmm. become. Yeah. Is beginning to speak to me now. Yeah. When was that? Uh, for me, it was with my my second book. So, oh gosh, maybe 18 years ago. Uh, and and right away, I knew. Oh yeah, this is the voice I want to embrace. Yeah, I could feel echoes of my vaudevillian comic great grandparents mm. in this voice. <laughs> awesome. And, you know, with a with a bit of the Muppet Show for good measure, <laughs> <laughs> but also lyricism because I have an undergrad uh, focus on poetry, so kind of a blend of those and poignancy. But yeah, definitely with my second book, not so much the first one. <laughs> I I love that that mix, uh, Melissa. Um, <laughs> Uh, for me, it was 2014. I was living in a, a, a 240 square foot apartment, writing Zero Saints, and uh, I kept struggling. The the first couple of chapters, um, I hear characters in my head, uh, and then I try to read the, uh, the the dialogue out loud because sometimes, you know, you do dialogue in your head is not dialogue in the real world, so we mustn't read out loud and uh, and fix that. And I kept stopping. Uh, to translate words because the characters were speaking uh, Spanglish in my head and they were just like, boom, 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 boom. And I would have to interrupt them to find the word that I was looking for and translate. And then at one point um, I said, you know, screw this. This is like a Puerto Rican talking to a Mexican in the United States. They can switch. They, we all code switch. Like this is not my native tongue. There's no reason if I was talking to someone who, you know, English is also not their first language, why we wouldn't do this. Um, and I already had the horror slash crime hybrid going. And uh, the moment I said, I'm just going to spit out my dialogue and not translate absolutely anything when it doesn't come to me. Uh, I finished that writing session and I sat back and I said, all right, so what I wrote today sucks. But when I fix it, <laughs> this is what I want to sound like. It's it's this mix of, of, of identities and cultures, and I don't have to write uh, for everybody else because it's it, you know I can I, I the, it was two blocks away from a Walgreens. The Walgreens had a had a book rack. Like those people are entirely writing in English. So if you want that type of book, you can go to your Costco or your Sam's Club or Walgreens and get that type of literature. I'm never going to have my books in in the Walgreens (laughs) bookshelves. So I don't have to try to write uh, like those folks. I can just be free and do this. And uh, and I haven't stopped because it just feels uh, it just feels natural. Yeah, that's great. And I mean, it's that's exactly right. That's what it feels like. It's like it's natural. I mean, when you're just starting out as a writer, you're trying so hard that you can almost not be natural. It's almost impossible. You're trying too hard um, and you have to go through that. Um, But at a certain point, it's like you said, you're just like, well, screw this. Right. (laughs) And that's when everything that you've struggled so hard to learn starts to take a back seat, but it's still there. And then your real voice comes out. Kabina, let, let me ask a question from the Q&A here. This is from uh, uh, Chrysandra, who asks, would you recommend using a mix of languages? I ask this because the piece I plan on using for the thesis project has a lot of Korean influences. I am learning Korean, and I am using the Korean words romanized. 
So I'm curious about your thoughts on that. If if you think the uh, the experiences and the and the identity and the, and the culture of, of that character demands it, then do it. Uh, I, I'm not saying you know I have a sci-fi about a assassin alien. I'm just gonna throw Russian in there to make it fun. Uh, not the way to go about it. If your characters sort of tell you uh, this this is my story, this is my culture, this is my language, uh, then then do it. And and here's how I try to explain it to some folks. If you know someone whose native language is not English, ask them. Um, what language they use to speak to their parents. Uh, if they're religious, ask them what language they use to pray and ask them what language shows up when they dream. If they don't say English, then that other language sort of belongs in their in their narratives. Because if not, you're just, uh, it's a very ugly word that I hate to use, but if you try to yank that out, you're just whitewashing the narrative. Uh, so instead of giving us, you know, a, a Korean experience, you're doing the whole, well, it's a it's a Korean who never met anybody from Korea, whose grandparents were dead when they were born, and they they grew up in in a white school in Milwaukee and never saw any Korean television or read Korean. Um, their parents didn't want them to speak Korean because they didn't want them to have an accent. Uh, that's a different type of story. That's someone who's been yanked away from their culture. Uh, if that's not the case, then the the, the Korean belongs in there because it's it's at the heart and soul of your characters. Paul, do you and, want me to ask that other one? Yeah, go ahead. So Mark Reynolds wants to know, how do you choose what to write about? Does it just come to you as you're starting to write? Or do you have an outline in mind before writing? <laughs> this is a great question, because uh, the class that I'm teaching right now, we're, uh, they just turned in their plot outlines. And I have some students that are struggling, like, I've never done one of these. <laughs> And I go, uh, don't worry, you pulled it off. You have to learn how to do it, all right? When you go to your uh, to your doctor and your doctor sends you to a specialist, that specialist had to learn all the other stuff as well. Um, so you learn how to do a, a, a plot outline, and then uh, you don't have to use it. <laughs> so I, I feel some kind of, uh, of they're, they're my kin spirits when I have those those students in class because I get this truly amazing like bullet point by bullet point plot outlines from the natural plotters like they can envision the whole novel and they turn in like four pages and they know how things are going to go. They know where the twist is. They, they've already mentally opened some doors and they've arranged everything. And then you have the students that are like me, like I kind of know what happens at the beginning, the middle and the end. And all of the connective tissue is a mystery. And I'm just going to wing it and see what happens. Um, so the plot outlines are not for you. Um, in five books, I have never used one. I try to write a, an outline once and I ran out and punched my neighbor out of frustration. So don't <laughs> it's just, learn how to do it and then don't do it if you don't have to because it's uh, your neighbors yeah. will thank you. <laughs> your neighbors <laughs> will thank you and you won't go to jail. So that's always good. But there's also times like um, a few years ago, I got hired to write a, um, you know, a, a, you know, a, a for hire novel with a very tight turnaround time. Um, 
And there was no way I could have written that, even though I normally do not have massive outlines, but I could simply could not have written that novel within the time allotted to me if I didn't know how to make an outline. I, and I knew that, you know, hey, this is, you know, I, I'm not putting 100% of myself into this book anyway, but I still have to know how to write this out, outline because I have, a, I have a novel to write in three months. You know, I've got to do it. So it can be, it can come in handy to know it, you know, even if it's something that's at the bottom of your toolbox, the day may come when you want to dust it off. Learn everything. Do learn everything. My agent just sold my next book last week and we had a meeting. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and the first thing the editor said to me is, I would like an outline in the next two weeks. Oh, gosh. No, you <laughs> bought it already. I don't have to outline now. <laughs> Hard thing, but she's right. Uh, so just do it. I forget what class we asked this of, but just do it. That's a, yeah, that's a good, you're going to sit down and you're going to do it. And then, yeah. <laughs> There's, a, I think another, is there another question? Yeah. Well, uh, There's a couple was, more questions. Oh, you want to take another Somebody, one of them? What? Uh, Gabino, what was the querying process like for your latest novel? Uh, it it wasn't. Um, in 2008, I finished my first novel, and I spent a um, year and a half, two years trying to get an agent. And when I realized that wasn't working, uh, I moved on. I was like, I, I need to keep going. Uh, this is... Um, I don't mean to sound like a cliche. This is the land of opportunity. There are so many amazing small indie presses yeah. willing to look at your manuscript without an agent. Uh, even bigger presses, if you pay attention online, they will have uh, one month out of the year mm -hmm. where they take just uh, stuff from people that are not with an agent. Um, and I did that. And 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 Zero Saints and Coyote Songs came out. Um, with a smaller press, which has a lot of problems that we can talk about at some other point in time. But the point was I got them out into the world. Um, and then um, my wonderful agent, Melissa Danasco, wrote an email to me out of the blue as I was finishing Coyote songs. And she said, um, a friend of mine recommended Zero Saints. I absolutely loved it. Are you working on anything? And uh, being the idiot that I am, I said, well, I'm about to finish a book, but it already has a home. I'll let you know about the next one. So um, when I had about 40,000 words of The Devil Takes You Home, I got in touch with her and I said, hey, remember you were waiting for this? Uh, here's 40,000 words if you want to take a look. And she said, I absolutely love it, but I cannot offer representation without a finished manuscript because God knows what's going to happen between here and the end. So uh, go finish it. And uh, this is uh, probably early 2020, maybe late 2019. And uh, in March, I was told I was being let go. I was a high school teacher. Uh, pandemic was raging. No one was hiring. So between June and maybe October, I finished and edited that novel, sent it to her. And uh, I think she read it in like three days. And then we, we signed. And the rest is history. And without, wow. uh, without Melissa, um, I don't know what I'd be doing because, you know, another indie press would have not... It would have been an awesome opportunity. It would have been a new book. It wouldn't have changed my life the way that going through the agent process and, and having the book sell at auction and doing all those stuff. Um, yeah, it was an entirely different experience uh, thanks to her. Yeah. 
And and you're working on, have you just finished or you're still putting the finishing touches on your next book? The next one is done. The uh, the editor liked it, but uh, you know what editors do? The editors build you up and then they send you an editorial letter to break you down and tell you everything that was uh, that was missing on that first draft. Uh, so I'm about, I would say, uh, a week away from uh, finishing the the edits on on the uh, the next one. Great. Yeah. And, and, and when is that slated to come out? Uh, probably summer. I don't want to say a month because I don't know. Summer of 2024. Okay. Yeah. It's a long time, but also not that long. Yeah, so it's I, not that long. Yeah, it'll, it'll be here before you know it. <laughs> Yes, which You'll means be, that as soon as this one is in, I have to start working on the next one. That's right. You'll be sharing <laughs> your cover on, on Twitter before too long or whatever whatever succeeds Twitter. <laughs> Whatever's around at the time. Yeah, exactly. So um, let's see what other. We have a few other questions in here. Oh, Melissa put this uh, resource in the Q&A for. Um, a bunch. Yeah, that's a, that is a great resource. I, I use that a lot myself. Um, you know, one of the benefits that you get as a as an MFA student now here, I'm going to drop a little advertisement into the into this um, for those who may be listening and considering, should I get an MFA at, at um, SNHU? I mean, let me just say, first of all, do you need an MFA to be a good writer, to be a successful writer? Absolutely not. Um, should you get an MFA? It's completely up to you. It can be very helpful in some ways. It helps you with craft. It helps with networking. It can it can shorten your apprenticeship appreciably. But anyway, one of the benefits that we offer here is like uh, students who are in their final thesis course uh, get to meet with an agent and pitch their manuscript. And so twice a year, I go out with my cap in hand and and ask agents if they would be willing to come and meet virtually with our students in one-on-one -on -one sessions to hear pitches of their books and that's where i go manuscript wish list and i look at you know which agents are interested in the genres that we teach and i get those agents then they're always happy to come in um agents are amazing people because i mean you hear a lot of horror stories about them i'm sure some of them are true but um by and large they're they love they love books and they love writers and they really want right to help writers succeed. Um, and they do. And also Paul is, uh, is our Dean and as such, he has learned to say all the right things in a, in a very uh, diplomatic way. Mm -hmm. But I will say <laughs> this, I have traveled uh, the country going to other MFAs to teach workshops, to talk to students, to be invited professor for a week. Uh, and at some of these other programs that shall remain nameless, uh, genre is frowned upon. Yes. Uh, so if you do yeah. want to get an MFA and you write romance, YA, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, then come to SNHU because you're my kind of freak. And this we are more than happy to uh, talk about the stuff that people really want to write. We're not going to be uh, frowning upon anything that you write and i do say uh that with with, with an open heart because i've been here for uh I'm, I'm young paul don't make me feel old again i've been here for a couple of years uh, yeah uh, and i've worked <laughs> with a lot of writers writing romance and sci-fi and, and horror and uh 
really creative narratives, and uh, we celebrate genre. In, uh, yeah. SMH. No, we're so, we're a very yeah. open-minded program. You know, we we even uh, we even let literary fiction in. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say that one of the finest microbursts of flash fiction pieces I've ever received at, in the MFA program. I am not joking. Was a romance between two cats. Uh-huh. Serious. It was a thing <laughs> of beauty. Somebody want Naomi wants to know how we get the juices flowing on ideas. All right, I'll I'll, I'll get started. Uh there's um life. I know it sounds it sounds like a cliche answer. Uh if I'm reading something uh, on the news and it makes me angry, I try to channel that anger. Uh, so I, I can't punch Ted Cruz in the face. I can't, uh, you know, cancel the the, uh, the Supreme Court. So I have all this anger that I need to get out somehow. Um, and I've always wanted to entertain. I, I When I was in school, I wrote a story that got me in trouble and, and people had really visceral reactions to it. Uh, and I realized the power of words when, when I was uh, in that trouble. Um, so the juices are always ready to go. The trick is to find time and to allow them <laughs> to get running. Uh, so when I do finally have time, uh, the real difficult thing is realizing I have 10 ideas but I need to be honest with myself and realize that maybe five or six of them are not that good. And then maybe one or two, I actually read something a couple years ago that kept turning in my head and that story is not mine. So I need to find out who it belongs to. So I'd never touch it. Uh, and then you're left with like two or three and out of those two or three, maybe one of those or two of those are short stories and not novels. Uh, so you have to do a lot of, uh, a lot of soul searching and pick the ideas that you know. Um, you know, Jack Ketchum, the great horror writer, uh, rest in peace, Jack Ketchum told me once, um, short stories are fun because they're a one-night stand, but every novel is a marriage, and you're mm -hmm. going to be in there for a while. <laughs> so when I finally decide, you know, this is the one that I'm going to run with, I know I'm stuck with it. Um, so do that inner sort of exercise, and uh, the music helps, walking helps. Reading helps. Like if you're not reading, you shouldn't be writing. Like read as much as possible. Read all day, every day. The back of your cereal box, your shampoo bottle, uh, the internet, books, novels, poetry. If you write romance, go read hardcore horror. If you read horror, go read fantasy. Uh, read across the board, and that will get you in the mood to write. Um, and once you can hit that mood, then uh, try to find the time, <laughs> which is the hardest thing. I yeah. second the. Uh the exercise suggestion long distance running and long distance biking and hiking for me quickest way to think of a new story or figure out a plot twist or deepen a character yeah get away from the laptop yeah i i'm i'm also a runner melissa and i i I've, know it. I've, i find like definitely a lot of plot problems, a lot of, um, yep. you know, not even problems, but just twists and, and uh, reveals, character backstory. A lot of things become clear in the middle of a run. Yeah. Um, so I consider running to be part of writing for me. I do too. And I think everybody, every writer probably has some, some uh, occupation that for other, for normal people is like a hobby or exercise or something but for writers it's like no it's just another part of writing i mean all writing 
Yeah, it's all writing. It's all, all writing all the time. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, I, I used to hear about, um, I used to hear about like, uh, like people who were, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like a chess champion or something who, who was like studying, you know, 30, 30 hours every day to, to like, you know, bone up on their, on their chess game to be world champion. And I was always think, well, where did they find the time to write? You know, it was, it just didn't occur to me that there were, that there were people out there that were not interested in writing. Um, and I guess, I guess uh, now I know that there, that there are, I still don't understand them, but <laughs> there are. Is it okay if we ask a few more questions? From Let's do it. Okay. So uh, is there any, Gabino, do you have any advice for a first time horror genre writer? And I don't quite understand the rest of this, but quote within the poetry side, unquote. Uh, Amanda. Oh, I guess I horror guess. poetry. You run a horror poetry. Uh, I love horror poetry. Uh, there's a oh, reason okay. why they give uh, stokers to poetry every single year. Uh, uh, we have uh, Stephanie Woodovich. I was going to uh, just say uh, Stephanie's yeah, an instructor an amazing, here. Uh, amazing horror poet. Um Horror is life. Horror is absolutely everywhere. Uh, it's it's in romance when it doesn't work out. It's in crime because uh, people get hurt and people get killed and do awful things. It's absolutely everywhere. So read a lot of horror poetry. Uh, uh, the second thing is anything that you think should be in your poems, it belongs. Because uh, I see a lot of people trying to attempt to write some sort of horror. And the first thing that they start thinking about is like, I need to write the stuff that you know, scares people. You don't know what scares people. No one knows. So for some folks, it's like haunted houses and, uh, um, you know, zombies and ghosts and demonic possession. And that's fine. Uh, but for some other folks, it's like, you know, loss, grief, poverty, cancer, sickness, their, their, their uh, loved ones getting hurt. So find the stuff that makes you uncomfortable, the stuff that makes you feel unsettled, uh, and then start writing from there because that's the stuff that's going to when I, I read a poem um, and I know that the, the person was slightly uncomfortable with writing it because like the topic was close to their heart or uh, it brought up some memories or, you know, they, they really felt scared. Um, go with that. Uh, read a lot and go with the stuff that you think um, makes you the most uncomfortable and that that will allow you to write some of the most uh, powerful, punchy um, horror poetry. Yeah, I mean, that advice holds for fiction as well, I think. Yeah. Looking at other questions, when did you first, oh, I'm sorry. When you first began writing novels, how much time did you dedicate to practicing your craft and writing the novel? Uh, this this is a good question, but it's also a bad question for me because I would love to have like this structured answer. Um, writing is, especially if you spend time online, it's full of rules. So I've heard you're supposed to write in the morning and I've heard you're supposed to write at night. Uh, I write whenever I can. 
Uh, so <laughs> you're supposed to write for two hours. You're supposed to write for eight hours on the weekends. I've done both. I've also written uh, uh, 30,000 words in, in 25 minute increments while teaching four classes in high school uh, with one hand because you're supposed to type with two. But I had to eat my sandwich. So I was typing <laughs> with one hand. Um, so there are no rules. That's, that's the main rule for writing. You need to find what, what works for you. So when I started out, um, I was uh, first of all, I was trying to learn to think in a different language because I was switching languages for my writing. Second of all, I was getting my PhD. Uh, I was also teaching because I was a TA at UT Austin and uh, that only paid about 900 bucks a month. And Austin is not a, a very cheap city. <laughs> so I was working uh, as a as a journalist for the Austin Post. So I wrote from like midnight to 2 a.m. I would be, I would turn off all the lights and get some some weird music going. Uh, then I started for a period for like about a year. I only wrote, um, I was broke. I couldn't afford the internet, so I went to the library. So when I was at the library, I could do research and other stuff. So I worked for like an hour on my university stuff and then always wrote at the library. Um, write whenever, wherever you can. Learn how to use the notes on your phone, learn how to dictate stuff into your own email. Um, I, I really wish I had a super well-organized answer, but the answer is find whatever works for you. When I was starting out, I wrote for the first year and a half, probably between midnight and 2 a.m. almost every single day. Uh, from there, it was like in the afternoons at the library. Then I started getting jobs. So it was like either doing lunch or try to write a bunch during the weekends. Uh, now I love writing at hotels because I spend a lot of time on the road. Uh, uh, but yeah, I spent any amount of free time that I had at night writing. If you have a job, uh, a family, a significant other, some pets, and you're getting a degree, my guess would be night times are the only times that you do have. So, uh, I'm sorry. No one likes to talk about it, but uh, writing is about sacrifices. So goodbye Hulu, Netflix, Prime, and Naps, and uh, get to writing. Yeah. Do you have time for maybe one more question? Let's do it. I think we have time. I like this one a lot. So Janelle says... I'm just starting to get questions from people about my self-published book, and it's exciting, but I find myself getting really nervous about saying something wrong slash stupid. How do you stay confident when talking about and publishing your writing? That's it. That's a great question. Um, I'm a mediocre musician. And uh, I've read a lot of, of writing by musicians, like like famous, you know, jazz musicians and, and uh, flamenco musicians. Sometimes, you know, you messed up as a musician, but the people listening to you don't know. Uh, so focus on that. Like maybe you sound stupid to yourself, but if you keep going, you can fix it. Um and uh, also, no one has all the answers, whether it's uh, big four publishing, smaller indie presses, self-publishing. No one has all the answers. If you're doing self-publishing, the amount of 
stuff that you have to learn from like how to work with ISBN numbers to the cover to layout to editing to you know putting it out what platform you're going to use you are a student of the game just like everybody else so learn as much as as, as you can about self-publishing and when people start asking you questions it's because they want to know so never be afraid uh to tell folks i'm going to find that answer for you but i don't have it right now i was really scared when i started teaching here because my knowledge of romance as a genre was uh well it needs to have a happy ending and it kind of boiled down to that so i was always scared that i was going to get romance uh, uh students in my class who were going to know so much more than me so I went and I looked at the at the business side of romance and then I read a whole bunch of romance novels and then I developed that. And uh, am I going to say something stupid? Well, I'm human. So at some point someone's going to know more than me um, and they might find something that I say stupid. Uh, but you just keep going and then tomorrow you might sound a little bit smarter. So don't focus too much on that because uh, if we were all too afraid of, of saying something stupid, we would never open our mouths. Uh, so. Good luck to you with the self-publishing and just keep at it, share your knowledge, and you'll be fine. Uh, I'm going to ask one more question here. Uh, this is a pretty good one, I think, from Joshua Franklin. Uh, I'm reading The Devil Takes Me Home right now and loving it, uh, but I've had to step away Thank from you. it for a day or so to process the dark stuff. And then in parentheses, he says, I'm the guy on Twitter who said it was making me tear up during my daughter's dance recital. So do you oh, ever find you have daughter. to... <laughs> Do you ever find you have to step away from a project to handle it or avoid the pain of it? I've, I've never had to step away, but I will say this, just like we joked about, you know, the negative reviews and the hate mail and all that stuff. I find it really, really hard to be productive and, and to do my best work if my mental health is not where it needs to be. So uh, I will write the most horrific, like I apologize if you have a kid, I apologize to you and to your daughter for chapter 11. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't, <laughs> I don't want to scare people, uh, you know, out of my work with a little bit of child mutilation. Uh, I, I kill a lot of folks in my book. There's a lot of sadness and anger and grief. And there's a there's a part of that 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 feels like therapy, but there's also a part of that that sticks with you. So when I'm done, I I turn off the laptop and and, and I turn on the light, and the the dark music goes away. Uh, I've learned through the years that some of that darkness sticks with you. So you might be a little angry. You you might be a little angry. You reply like you snap at people because you're still in that frame of mind. So. Get a good cup of coffee, watch your favorite show, play with your daughter, uh, go for a walk. I walk the dog like three times a day, listen to the birds, uh, hang out with your friends, uh, go listen to a, a kid's laughter. Do something that get, helps you get back in the right frame of mind because uh, there's some stuff that we're, we're basically mining our own souls for some of the darkest tidbits to to share with the world. And uh, at some point we go like, yeah, this hurts a lot. So I'm going to stay in this pocket here where it really hurts and write about this stuff and hurt other people. Uh, and then someone tells you, you know, like I, I cried reading this book. And then you go like, yes, mission accomplished. Also, I'm sorry that that wasn't like the main goal. Um 
so it's it's like this very delicate balance where you you need to like do the most horrible stuff possible on the paper for all the right reasons and also protect your mental health because that's where you do your best work that's when you can help others that's that's why you can be a, a very good positive encouraging uh member of, of of the literary scene and and you can just be a good person to everybody around you while also writing um uh, chapter 11 so yeah, yeah it's, it's a delicate that, balance i mean uh, that's so good luck amazing. to you and to your daughter that that's one of the amazing things really about the horror community is like how supportive that community is and how everybody in that community will go to bat for each other and uh just it's 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 kind of um it's surprising in a way because you would think just from the stereotype of a, of a horror writer that they, they would just be a bunch of like you know misanthropic iconoclasts or something, but they're but they're really not. And and I think I think that just speaks to um, the sense that I don't know horror is a very misunderstood genre. I think um, it has a lot of people have a knee jerk reaction to it, but those who read it understand I think that it's a lot more than just the terrible stuff that happens in it or can be um well on that note folks i think i'm gonna we'll wrap it up for tonight um this has been an incredible evening i want to thank gabino and uh, thank melissa for um joining us tonight and um gabino best of luck with the next one best of luck at the edgars or rather the stokers uh, and uh, Melissa, good luck on your new one. Thank you. <laughs> Likewise. And to you too, Melissa. <laughs> and uh, thanks so much to all of our uh, listeners. Yep. Thank you for coming. Y'all have a good one.